This is WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Also streaming live online at www.wvew.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. On the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. So um, today we have Vicki Senny. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am a um, educator and school administrator. I work in Burlington, Vermont, and I work with children ages pre-K through high school. Great. And this is Nina Kunimoto. Um, I'm a local educator and a graduate student at UMass Boston. Um, so today we have, um, we'll be in conversation with Fred Magdoff. He is Emeritus Professor of Plant and Soil Science at the University of Vermont and author of Creating an Ecological Society Towards a Revolutionary Transformation, What Every Environmentalist Needs to Know About Capitalism, and many other books. He's also a frequent contributor to Monthly Review, which is an excellent independent socialist journal. Um, we highly recommend it. And we're hoping to deepen our understanding about the connections between capitalism, the environment, and the need for solidarity across movements um, by speaking with our wonderful guest, Fred Magdoff, who will be calling in um, from Burlington. And last week, last week with our hosts Becca and Nick, we discussed the role of teachers unions in the context of larger labor, labor struggles in the U.S. And we looked at the current health care struggle with teachers in Vermont. Great. So um, we're going to start out with a song um, called Stand Up, Stand and Rock. Um, hashtag no dapple. They call it a pipeline, but those on the front lines know that black snake was sent for us to grow, to shed the skin our ancestors pray, of wounds old and calloused, so that we may stay, so that we may unite, unity our tool. No weapons are found in this court of rule. Men becoming ki'ai, steadfast in their guard, protecting women's hearts as their song become roots, roots to cast out healing for all sentient beings, to honor sacred mother, heart forward we heal. The salmon will run, the mauna will breathe, the rivers will flow. The rainbow is here and prophecy tells us all generations will hear. Nations and our people that have been living here for thousands of years. Stand up. We've been fighting for our freedom since the Nina and the Pinta and the Santa Maria. Stand up. Like Geronimo, Sitting Bull, Red Cloud, Crazy Horse, Leonard Peltier. Stand up. Now they poisoning the waters for our sons and our daughters, so we on the frontier. We won. One nation, one cause, one people, one tribe. Now it's us against the pipeline. Get on your feet for standing rock, and we'll show you how strong we could be when we unify. To Stand up, stand up, stand up. 
planet Earth, it's been spinning. We've been living and dying, but giving birth the first of many nations. Celebrating them days when all that got made came after what got me. These days we cater to these internet memes, internet streams. It seems them streams aren't clean. We need the whole story seen. We're hassling before water has gasoline in it. Malcolm X moment, Martin Luther King with a dream and war bone. Wounded knee plus Alcatraz dog on it. This is for the rock with prayers we stand on it. Oh yeah, we playing on it. The earth we camp on it. In a sweat lodge, singing our songs with grandfather's heat rocks all in the spot. We splash on them with a beatbox from my boy B Jam on it. Said a prayer for the black snake killers. Train on the front lines, they or the realest. Stand for your people, stand for your family. Stand with standing rock, stand for humanity. It takes a group of people who actually care about. You know, Mother Earth and life and water being sacred and the land being sacred to say we stand up. To all my native people, recognize Okay, that was Stand Up, Stand in Rock. Indigenous struggles against the pipelines are clear and prominent examples of capitalism's effect on the environment. And we're here today with Emeritus Professor of Plant and Soil Science at the University of Vermont, Fred Magdoff. Fred, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Great. Thank you so much for um, joining us today and, and helping us understand a little bit more about what's going on in the world and deepening our, our understanding. Um, perhaps you'd like to introduce yourself. Uh, we introduced you earlier, but perhaps you'd like to uh, introduce yourself. Well, I, uh, for many years, was a professor in the Department of Plant and Soil Science at the University of Vermont. And I uh, did work on uh, soils, teaching and research, and also uh, uh, helped to administer a U.S. Department of Agriculture program called the Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education Program. Um, and uh, since retirement, I've been working on a variety of issues, some dealing with the U U.S. economy and some with envir the environment in, in the broad sense of that word and the connections um, between um, the politics and the economy and the, and the environment. Um, and so uh, that's what I've been doing. I, in our first segment here, I, I'm going to focus um, on your most recent book published in 2017 called Creating an Ecological Society Towards a Revolutionary Transformation, and um, you co-authored it with Chris Williams. So I'm going to start out with a quote by Martin Luther King, Jr., so he says, one day we must ask the question, why are there 40 million poor people in America? And when you ask that question, you're raising a question about the economic system, about a broader distribution of wealth. When you ask that question, you begin to question the capitalistic economy. And you see, my friends, when you deal with this, you begin to ask the question, who owns the oil? You begin to ask the question, who owns the iron ore? You begin to ask the question, why is it that people have to pay water bills in a world that's two-thirds water? So you, 
you continue on, and this is in chapter four, for those who um, have a book, um, you continue to say that detrimental effects on people are built into the structure of capitalism, causing psychological and physical harm. Could you describe for us what are those structures built into capitalism that are destructive to all species on the planet and to humanity? Well, essentially you have to go back to, to what it's all about. I mean, what, what the system is and how it operates. And um, one of the key aspects is that um, basically uh, capitalists are people that have money, that have capital, hire people and they buy uh, raw materials and machinery or whatever is needed and, and assemble them together in a location to produce a product that's a, a good or a service uh, or a physical uh, tangible good um, that they then want to sell for more than it costs to produce it. Uh, so uh, basically the the whole purpose of the system is to produce profits. Mm -hmm. It's to produce a commodity or a service and to sell it for, for more than it costs to produce it. And in other words, more than the value that was added by the, the laborer. And when that happens, uh, basically, uh, in that type of a system, it brings out um, some of the antisocial aspects, I would say, of, of our characteristics. Uh, greed and uh, competitiveness, the individualism, uh, these, these are all rewarded in the system. You, mm -hmm. you really... You have to be greedy if you're going to be a good capitalist. You have to want to make more money. Uh, you have to want to outcompete your, uh, uh, you know, company in making something that's similar to yours uh, for market share. And uh, and so this is all a system which uh, which just drives it in a certain direction. And the direction is growth. Also, it's a system that has to grow. Uh, people have talked about the problems of a of a perpetual growth on a uh, on a finite planet mm -hmm. uh, being impossible, and, and of course it is. Uh, but capitalism is a system which um, has to grow. If it doesn't, it, it's in crisis. So uh, anything that interferes with profits is viewed as some sort of an obstacle that needs to be overcome. And uh, just uh, some examples. Um, uh, strong, strong unions are an obstacle to to uh, to profits uh, because the workers have too much power. This is in the minds of, of a the owner of capital or the the the, the CEO of a business. Uh, environmental regulations are also a problem. Um, and then, uh, if you find out that your uh, product uh, is harmful and companies have found this out, uh, you need to hide that as long as possible. So you try to deny it and obfuscate. Uh, I'll just give you a few examples. The tobacco industry, the asbestos industry. Uh, I don't know if uh, people know about these. Over, it's happened over a period of um, close to 10 years, uh, the recall of airbags made by this Japanese company, Takata, that they knew were faulty. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they had a long long uh, knowledge about that. Uh, the uh, the Teflon uh, chemical that's used to make Teflon, PFOA, mm -hmm. right. which is contaminated 
it's just, just, just about everything in the environment. And we had a major problem here in Vermont, in North Bennington, uh, just a couple of years ago with it in the, in the groundwater. Uh, coming from a, a plant that was just across uh, the, uh, the New York Lime in uh, Hoosick Falls. Uh, so uh, what the companies do is they deny it, they uh, obfuscate. Meanwhile, damage is being done to people, damage is being done to other organisms, etc. cetera. Uh, and uh, and uh, basically, you put it off as long as possible, and then you try to uh, minimize the, the cost uh, of uh, remedying the situation if you're forced to. Mm-hmm. And many times they're not forced to. Uh, so I, I think that what it comes down to, let me try to uh, put it reasonably succinctly, is it comes down to within the system that we have, this economic system, where profits are the goal and the only goal and the driving force of the system, there is no way to take into account the social and environmental consequences of the decisions that are made. And therefore, uh, they just happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not intended. They just, I'm talking about these detrimental effects. They right. just happen. Mm-hmm. If uh, if uh, the uh, economy slows down, we have to fire people because we don't want to pay them. Uh, if we can't sell the products that they're making, uh, that's just uh, a side effect of the system. But it does psychological damage to people right. when they're laid off of work. So this is sort of my... Uh, relatively quick take. Yeah, I know it's been. A, I've been talking for a while on no, uh, on what the what the issues are. Yeah, and and we'll definitely be coming back to some of the points that that you've made in in, the, in this first question. Um, one of the things I wanted to focus on was in this in this segment is um, capitalism's effect on people. Um, and again, this is in, in chapter four, and you beautifully tie together capitalism's effects on workers, on capitalism um, and has its tied to racism and the ideology of blaming the victim, oppression of women and imperialism and war. Um, and I'm just curious, what are the basics of political economy that people in general should understand to realize that capitalism is at the root of all of these issues? Well, I mean, basically, the, the, the way the system functions mm-hmm. normally, it creates problems. Yeah. It creates environmental problems. It creates social problems. Uh, and so uh, this, uh, by, by not having a system in which they can uh, basically uh, take these into account and try to, uh, well, uh, let me backtrack. If profits are the, are the goal, and, and they are the goal of the system, mm-hmm. the, the goal of individual, uh, you know, companies, uh, then these other issues become... Uh, irrelevant to them, or they can take advantage of them. For example, racism is something that's quite convenient yeah. uh, to take advantage of uh, because it allows uh, it allows owners of businesses to keep workers divided, mm-hmm. and so uh, and it allows politicians uh, who uh, represent business interests to keep workers divided, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, it becomes a very um, useful tool in in a system.
not based on satisfying the needs of human beings. Mm-hmm. It's based on producing profits. And therefore, just to keep an example of racism, anything that keeps workers divided and keeps them from organizing together and forming a union and demanding better working conditions, higher pay, better health care benefits, etc., anything that, that inhibits that from happening is something that helps um, businesses. So, so this is this is just how how the system uh, functions. You know, then you know if you are a large uh, capitalist country, uh, your government is operating in as a I don't know. They're basically uh, heavily controlled by business interests. And it thinks in terms of keeping the world and keeping the country safe for business interests. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you, imperialism, uh, that is the ability to project capital, that is to invest capital in foreign countries, bring it back when you want to bring it back, mm-hmm. to interfere with other countries so that they do what you want them to do, that is the larger country, the larger capitalist country, uh, this all is a, an outgrowth of how the system functions. Right. You know, you want to have access to raw materials. Uh, oil, of course, is is one of the big ones, which is today at the heart of you know what's the, the issues as it has been for for more than a half a century uh, in the Middle East um, with um, with the uh, warmongering with regard to Iran, mm-hmm. uh, the the wars in. Um, Afghanistan and um, and Iraq um, and Syria and uh, of course the, the Saudis being able to do what they want to do with American help in Yemen uh, that's all because of, of oil in that region right. uh, basically so the, the 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 struggle for resources to control control resources to try to influence countries that have the resources in different ways. Uh, to influence them. Uh, this is all part and parcel of, of how the system functions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, 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 these are these are all natural outgrowths right. of, of, of the functioning of the system. And I think what was interesting, I kind of want to go back to, to something you said earlier, um, that the capitalist system highlights an antisocial behavior or highlights antisocial behavior because a lot of times I you know in being in the classroom like I hear capitalism or competition and greed is natural they people have always been violent people have always been greedy um so what what I hear you saying is that you know it is the 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 relationship of people with the system as they relate to the system it highlights certain characteristics Mm -hmm. that amongst many, including cooperation, but it highlights one specific characteristics um, within a human and, and kind of augments it. It not only highlights it, it encourages it. Mm-hmm. Um, just Let me give the example of competition, which is viewed as very positive characteristic in capitalism yeah. for the individual and for the company, you know, for a company. Right. But, but we're taught, I mean, kids are taught at very young ages to compete with one another. Mm-hmm. They're there's uh, spelling bees, there's sporting events. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're competing for grades. You're competing for entry into, into um, 
colleges, well, nowadays you're competing for entry into high schools and um, uh, and sometimes even kindergartens. Um, when you get out of school, you're competing for um, you know for jobs, uh, which is also an aspect of racism. If there aren't sufficient good jobs, uh, racism comes into play very strongly, um, and uh, and is is uh, is deepened, I would say, uh, by uh, by that lack of um, everyone having the ability to have a good job. So uh, so so competition then becomes a, a not only it is a characteristic that we can display, but it is a characteristic which is encouraged mm-hmm. and reinforced and rewarded. Right. And um, and so you, what what has happened is that. We have within us, within the human experience, within our abilities, a range of characteristics right. that we can express and do express, mm-hmm. you know, from, from the very best to the very worst. Mm-hmm. And the very best would be potentially sacrificing yourself for somebody else or, mm-hmm. or helping other people in, in, you know, in great need. Um, and, uh, and the very worst, of course, is killing people and mm-hmm. torturing people, which humans do. Yeah. And in between, there's there, there's a, a whole a, a whole set of uh, characteristics, um, but we are not naturally any one of these characteristics. They are all part of us, but some societies bring out and reward and encourage certain ones while discouraging others. But we lived for most of our existence as a species where. We're at least 200,000 years old, although there's some evidence that we may be 300,000 years old as a species. And uh, it's only the last 500 years that capitalism has existed, and and maybe 250 years as industrial capitalism. And uh, and it's a relatively short period of time also since agriculture was developed. We started having class societies. That's 10,000 years ago. That's longer, obviously, than capitalism has existed mm-hmm. so that for at least 95% of our existence as a species we lived in hunting gathering societies right. and there are still some that are out there not many that are left and in those societies cooperation and sharing uh, have been the major hallmarks of what has allowed those societies to exist and to and to thrive and that's how we lived and those were the you know the humility and and reciprocity, uh, these were all characteristics that were rewarded right. in these societies. Mm-hmm. And greed and aggression and uh, other aspects of also of the human experience uh, were played down. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so that it's not a question, sh- sure people can be greedy, there's no doubt about that. Right. Uh, uh, but uh, but we have a society that encourages it and rewards it. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. And so um, we are not. I once had an argument with um, with someone who said, "Well, we're natural born consumers. Mm-hmm. That's why we want to just have more and more stuff." Okay. And and my answer was, if we're natural born consumers, why does the business? Why do the business interests in the United States pay over a trillion dollars a year in the sales effort? to convince us to buy stuff. Mm-hmm. If we're natural-born consumers, we wouldn't need all that advertising. we just go out and buy it. Mm-hmm. 
but of course we are susceptible to it. Yeah. So I mean that, that from that part of it, it's true. Right. But we're susceptible also to not being consumers, all right? Okay. To not being, um, uh, not wanting to constantly acquire more and more stuff. Right. So it's it's a question of really different types of societies bring out different characteristics to the forefront right. and suppress other characteristics. They never disappear, but they suppress them. Right. And uh, warfare is another example of that. There's very, very little evidence for warfare among, um, you know, hunting-gathering societies, uh, and yet it becomes a very prominent feature of society um, after you start to start to have class society with with agriculture mm. and of course in capitalist societies it's a very very prevalent aspect as well so um, it's not something that we're natural born killers mm. no we're not uh, but we have the ability to kill other people mm-hmm. and um, so uh, anyway so this is a great way to sort of segue into the next section, which is capitalism and the environment. Um, so Vicky's going to introduce a song that we're going to play. Yep. So we're going to hear Calle 13, the song Latino America. This song travels through South America, highlighting colonization and the injustices on the land and the people. Latino America also highlights resistance, love for the land and people, and how traditions have been maintained throughout these struggles. And so let's hear the song, and then we'll be back with Fred Magdoff. Amables oyentes, en esta mañana de su radio Indiraiti. Allí ya chocale ya chocale ya chocale ya casi quichis. Que hijos con la tapica, ya tata jabo, ya tata cura, pero ya arriba ni cura, o ya cura para ni cura. Cura que hay en taque, o ya cura, ya hay moco, que hay Puerto Rico, nación mantapacha, para ya cura, su tigmi, calle 13. Y las patas vemos, o taquita pomanchis, ya hay taque, su tigmi, Latinoamérica, o ya hay cusanchis. Cancunapa. Soy, soy lo que dejaron, soy todas las obras de lo que se robaron, un pueblo escondido en la cima, mi piel es de cuero, por eso aguanta cualquier clima, soy una fábrica de humo, mano de obra campesina para tu consumo, frente de frío en el medio del verano, el amor en los tiempos del cólera, mi hermano, el sol que nace y el día que muere, con los mejores atardeceres, soy el desarrollo en carne viva, un discurso político sin saliva, las caras más bonitas que he conocido, soy la fotografía de un desaparecido, la sangre dentro de tus venas, soy un pedazo de tierra que vale la pena, una canasta con frijoles, soy Maradona contra Inglaterra, anotándote dos goles, soy lo que sostiene mi bandera, la espina dorsal del planeta en mi cordillera, soy lo que me enseñó mi padre, el que no quiere a su patria, no quiere a su madre, soy América Latina, un pueblo sin pierna, pero que camina, oye, tú no puedes comprar el viento, tú no puedes comprar el sol, tú no puedes comprar la lluvia, tú no puedes comprar el calor, tú no puedes comprar las nubes, tú no puedes comprar los colores, tú no puedes comprar mi alegría, tú no puedes comprar mi dolor, tú no puedes comprar el viento, tú no puedes comprar el sol, tú no puedes comprar la lluvia, tú no puedes comprar el calor, tú no puedes comprar Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. And today we're here with Fred Magdoff. Um, we just heard the song, Calle Trece's song, Latino America. 
And at the root of this song is the commodification of everything. And that too is the logic of capitalism. All things, air, sun, rain, the environment are bought and sold in the marketplace. This song was released in 2011 and the refrain starts, Tu no puedes comprar el viento, you can't buy the wind. Tu no puedes comprar el sol, you can't buy the sun, you can't buy the rain. Fred, can you comment on this idea that everything, including these elements of life, should be bought and sold and how that is leading to the destruction of our environment? Well, I mean, uh, essentially, uh, people with money who are investing that money, or capitalists, shall we say, uh, are looking for different ways, different products, different ways to make money. And uh, in the process, uh, they will try to turn anything they can into a commodity that can be bought and sold or produced and sold. Um, And so uh, they... Land, of course, becomes a commodity early on in the system, um, and uh, and then you have uh, you know the, the the commodification of just about everything, including public services, mm-hmm. which we used to consider you know public services that are that are that are being commodified, mm-hmm. such as I don't know if you want to call it, no I wouldn't say public service but public <laughs> like a prison but a public service <laughs> like education right. they're trying to get to privatize. They're trying to privatize uh, whatever can be commodified in the system, which, by the way, includes us. Yep. Uh, our own information about us is being mm-hmm. commodified right. and is being bought and sold. Um, there was a story recently, I forgot what it was, over like a three-month period. Uh, each Facebook user in the United States was worth like $10 to Facebook. Um because they were selling the information of the of the person mm. to uh, someone who wanted that information, right. you know, advertisers who wanted that information. So, um, so uh, yeah, I mean, th- this is basically it. Wherever you can make money, you're going to look to make money. Right. If it's uh, if it's taking water out of the ground and uh, and selling it as Coca-Cola or selling it as just water, uh, you're going to do it, even if it's even if you're in a water limiting location. Uh, you you will try to commodify that uh, instead of it being water, you know, uh, as as, uh, as Martin Luther King Jr. put it, you know, uh, how can we be paying for this? Uh, but he, but we're paying even more for it now. Uh, in, I mean, in different ways. So, I mean, essentially, there's there's a continual looking for new ways to make money, and that that could be new gadgets. Or it could be taking something that was in the public domain and turning it into a commodity. Mm-hmm. And historically, that's certainly what has happened. Um, you know, the, the oceans have been commodified in a sense. I mean, the fish, the uh, the um, you know, the, the land, as I mentioned before, is commodified early on. That's going on now. You have land which is which is essentially uh, land that belongs. To if it belongs to anybody, it belongs to the indigenous people who are living on the land, and that is being turned into a commodity. Uh, for example, in uh, in Indonesia, uh, rainforests are being burned, uh, cut down, sometimes logged, sometimes burned, uh, usually uh, to turn into uh, oil palm plantations to produce uh, palm oil for 
many uses, mm-hmm. but one of them is biofuels. It's also used for cooking and cosmetics and other purposes, too. But there are people living in those forests. There are animals, uh, other animals living in the forest, um, and not to mention the, the, the native vegetation on the, uh, that's t- taken out, the, the diversity that's there that's then turned into a monoculture. So, uh, so th- this is this is how the system operates. It's a continual search for new ways to make money, mm-hmm. and if that means uh, taking something that's uh, you know that that is a public uh, that's in the public domain and privatizing it, you try to do that. Mm-hmm. If you can't do that, you get access to the resources that are there, even though it's technically still in the public domain. Something uh, I so learned they're, through... They're all different techniques. Something I learned through my study of political economy is that capitalist... Come on, what, what it is, like whether it's water or air or whatever, doesn't matter as long as it, they can sell it and mm. buy it. Like profit being like the, the core importance. Right. So yeah, the, the, the actual commodity is irrelevant. Right. Uh, yeah, to, 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 uh, to an individual capitalist. I mean, actually, the, the, uh, you can see this in that, you know, the growth of the financial sector where there is no commodity. Mm. You know, they're just making money with money. That's right. Interesting. You know, you, yeah. you, you're, you're taking out the intermediary yeah. that is the making of a commodity and a service and then selling it. You're taking that out by speculation, basically, mm. and so, by creating these, uh, well, they're, they're sort of like commodities but they create what they call financial instruments, which are basically uh, speculative gambles uh, of different types. I mean, I can give you some examples of them. And, and uh, so they, they, they sell those to people, but they're not real tangible. And not, there's nothing that's, that's real there. It's all just a bet. Mm. It's a bet that something is going to happen in the future or that some number of things are going to happen simultaneously in the future. Um, if if they do, you win your bet. If they don't, you lose your bet. I mean, if if you're betting that in that direction, right? So, uh, so yeah, the the actual physical good or service is irrelevant, and as I mentioned, it really doesn't have to be. So, as far as let's go back to the environment a little bit and talk about some of the efforts to combat this commodification in recent years, and some of what you've discussed as far as the connections to labor and war. So, Fred, how do you think that the new, the Green New Deal addresses the question of labor or perpetual war, or will the Green New Deal be about more profit for the bosses and the continuation of this system? Well, the, the Green, you know, there are a number of programs out there. If you're referring to the, the one that's, the res, you know, the congressional resolution uh, that was passed this year, um, um, that... Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez right. is involved in uh, on the House side. Um, it's a, actually a very interesting document. Uh, it, it has its limitations, but, but it has a lot of interesting aspects to it that allow for a conversation uh, to be held and uh, with um, with people um, about the issues of because it deals also with labor, it deals with the environment, not just climate. Um, but also other environmental aspects, um, but the, the need for a good job, the issues of you know of, uh, of uh, environmental justice, and, and so on. So it's got a, a number of very 
important aspects in it. And it's just a resolution, you know. It's just saying, more or less, you know, this is something we should do, you know, or we'd like to do. Mm-hmm. It's not a law. Mm-hmm. So so nothing mm-hmm. nothing is going to happen because of it. It's, uh, it's uh, supposed to be a guide uh, for future um, real legislation. Uh, what's not mentioned in there, I mean, there are a number of things, uh, but one of them is uh, imperialism and, and, and the fighting of wars. Uh, Chris and I wrote about it in the book, but there's just a release of information uh, which has a little more detail about how much, um, how much uh, energy and uh, fossil fuels the Pentagon uses uh, and uh, it, it uses more than, than uh, I don't know, 120, 30, 40 countries. It uses, you know, more, uh, you know, produces more, uh, you know, uh, greenhouse gases than, than does Portugal, a mm-hmm. country of 10 million people. Um, you know, in, in, in fighting its wars and ferrying people around the world and keeping these ships in the, in the Persian Gulf, and you know, you know, whatever, it uses a tremendous amount of energy, and it is responsible for a certain percentage of, of global warming, and uh, and uh, so it it is a humanitarian issue that is the the wars that the that is that the Pentagon is involved in fighting, that is the United States is fighting. So there are moral issues involved in that certainly, political issues involved. But there are also environmental issues. It's not, and this isn't the only one, but fossil fuels is one of them. Mm-hmm. So that if you're going to have a Green New Deal, if you really want to uh, have a Green New Deal, I think you need to address uh, the Pentagon and, and this vastly bloated uh, structure that we have of uh, military bases around the world, uh, some 700 bases in, in, uh, in countries all over the world, literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, that's just an example of what's not in there. Yeah. Um, so, I'm going to quote Milton Friedman really quickly because I this is I've never read this before, and it was actually quoted by a Chilean poet, Daniel um, Borzutsky, in 2019. And Milton Friedman says, "The great virtue of a free market system is that it does not care what color people are." It does not care what their religion is. It only cares whether they can produce something you want to buy. It is the most effective system we have discovered to enable people who hate one another to deal with one another and help one another. So my question to you is, you take a stand by saying that if we are to have a sustainable planet um, and humane societies, that a complete rearrangement of social power, the end of capitalism and class-based societies is necessary. In other words, we must move towards revolution. Yet a lot of times, the narrative gets stuck in reform. We can make capitalism better. We can make it kinder, gentler, regulated. Um, but we have to keep capitalism. It was so interesting at um, the conference when you came down here to Brattleboro, you had said that people have an easier time imagining the end of the world than the end of capitalism. So tell us why reform won't work. Well, the, the reforms that are needed, if you want to create a society of true equality or substantive equality, 
and a society that's ecologically sound. The reforms that are needed are so huge that they go and and they go to the very heart of the system of capitalism. That um, that the small reforms that people are talking about uh, really uh, don't get us very far. So, uh, is it possible to to have environmental reforms? Uh, sure, and we've had some. You know, the, the waters are cleaner than they once were. We have uh, sewage treatment plants now instead of just dumping sewage directly into the rivers or into Lake Champlain up here or the oceans. If you're, it depends on what what city you're in. Um, uh, they go through a treatment plant, and uh, there's still pollution associated with it, um, but it pollutes the surface waters less uh, than used to be. So that is an example of reform. Uh, the Clean Air Act has helped also uh, to a significant degree, uh, but it it doesn't really solve even those problems. It it ameliorates them, but it doesn't solve them. Um, but what what I'm talking about is is an issue where what we need to have is a society in which the whole purpose of production is to produce what's needed for people to be able to live a good or decent life, mm-hmm. which we need to define what that is, of course. And that's not just material goods. It's also education and it's culture and it's recreation and other aspects as well. So... Um, that that becomes the purpose of production. Of course, we also need for a good life a healthy environment. So that I consider that part of it. I don't, I don't consider that in any contradiction in, in any way at all. Um, we need to be breathing clean air, drinking clean water, having uh, fertile and healthy soils. So all of that is, I see, as part of it. You can't reform capitalism to let you do those things. There's just no way to get you there. So that, so that means that the reforms become really minor tinkerings instead of major restructuring. And, uh, and even to get the minor tinkerings is very difficult. And as we see now, those tinkerings can be undone. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the reforms can be, can be eliminated. And this is what has been happening at EPA. This is what's happening with OSHA was happening, you know, across the board in the, in the government, um, and so um, with the Trump administration, so that uh, these reforms, which were never all that great to start with, uh, even they can be, you know, uh, undone when there are powerful interests who want them to be undone. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the reasons that businesses, uh, although they have some qualms about Trump and his trade um, wars, um, they they like very much this aspect of deregulation. Of course, they like very much also the you know the, um, the lessening of their taxes, okay. uh, personal taxes as well as corporate taxes. So uh, that's uh, they're very happy about that as well. So uh, I think I think the reforms, minor reforms, aren't going to get us there. Mm-hmm. Major reforms can't that don't really challenge the system and change the system are just not going to help. That's all there is to it. And they're not going to get us there. They're not going to achieve what's needed uh, with regard to equality or with regard to uh, 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 with regard to uh, 
the environment. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I mentioned it when I was down in Brattleboro, but, you know, I, th- I thought as I walked out of the movie, uh, this is uh, uh, based on work by uh, James Baldwin called I'm Not Your Negro, which is a, which is a very interesting movie. It came out a couple of years ago and has footage of, of Baldwin speaking as well. Mm-hmm. I walked out of that movie and I said uh, to myself, I was with two or three other people, my wife and another couple, but I happened to be walking in front. And I, I just said, said to myself, there's no way to resolve racism in a capitalist society. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just uh, the, the movie just sort of reinforced that, you know, that knowledge in me. What would be needed to do that? Right. You know, we'd, we'd need a decent job for everybody. We'd need decent housing for everybody. Mm-hmm. We'd need, you know, quality schools for everybody. We'd need some way to repair, you know, uh, the damages that were done by by the um, by slavery and uh, the Jim Crow era and, and the modern uh, discrimination, which government was very much a, a part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would need a massive uh, educational effort that went on probably for generations. Uh, this just is unthinkable to me in this society. Right. And I think that's what you would need. You'd need a massive program to deal with that, a multi, you know, multifaceted program um, with with huge resources devoted to it. And it's just not going to happen. Right. And you you mentioned that in um, on page one thirty three in your book uh-huh. that you know you 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 wrote. However, racism is much larger and deeper than individual whites harboring racist attitudes by carving out some parts of the population and portraying them as different, inferior, and less worthy, businesses and governments can keep labor divided against Mm. itself. So one of the things I've heard in different spaces um, is activists talking about persuading and changing the mind of and raising the consciousness or raising the awareness of capitalists, raising the awareness of the owning class or landlords Mm. or police or whoever that's has power. Um, what are your thoughts on raising their awareness of, of they meeting the owning class? Will they come around to what I suppose the activists are hoping is an understanding or having an aha moment that will somehow persuade them to change their ways? Like, how would you respond to that? Because I hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's a waste of time. <laughs> uh, basically, there, there's, there's no way that you're going to convince capitalists in general. I mean, there may be one or two here or there, and, you know, there's some who are more progressive, um, you might say, than others. Uh, but uh, but uh, this, is, this is the way they think. This is the way they must think. This is the way they must act if they're going to operate within the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think what the, the folks that need convincing are, are, are the people, are the working, the working people of the mm-hmm. country. Um, and that, uh, and that, and you have to gain enough power uh, on the side of the of the people to overcome the huge power that's in the hands of uh, of capitalists and and people who work for directly or indirectly for them, uh, which includes a very high percentage of the political class in the United States. Um, uh, the police, I would say. You know, there's something that you might be able to do. They're sort of closer. They're, they're enforcers, you might say. Right. But still, they're, they're closer to, to, um, to regular class. folk. Right. 
Yeah. And uh, and there 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 may be communities in which some good work can be done among the police, mm-hmm. as there was you know among the like during the Vietnam War among the uh, soldiers, mm, right. um, and uh, you know with, with the military. So, uh, but as far as trying to to deal with the capitalists, I, uh, I think it's a I really think it's a waste of time. I mean, I I don't see anything that's wrong with talking with them if anybody wants to. Uh, or, but I wouldn't spend time trying to do it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't waste time. Right. I think it's better off to organize people, get them together, and to and to get the various groups together, and to try to um, have a develop a countervailing power that can take on the power of capital. Wonderful. So, when when I teach, I always like to highlight to my students that, you know, and you had mentioned this earlier, right, that 95% of human history, or probably more, 98% of human history, that humans have lived communally. Um, And so talk to us about, in your book, you talk a lot about solidarity and and bringing movements together. So tell us a little bit about that, um, about what you think about solidarity across movements and and how that's tied into um, the environment. Well, I, I see all, all I see all these issues as, as related one way or another. Uh, they're all related in the sense that either they're created by or made worse by the way the capitalist system functions. So so they're they're connected that way. Sometimes they're connected more directly, like uh, racism and the environment are directly connected. Uh, you know, uh, people of color are. are are more more likely to be living in places that are that are contaminated or have heavy levels of pollution than are um, than are whites, for example. It's no accident. I mean, this is it's it's on purpose. This is where incinerators are are located in in, in poorer neighborhoods. So more likely uh, uh, African Americans or, or others of color, and and so uh, so the environment and uh, and uh, and racism are, are are definitely you know d- directly connected, uh, and so I think the point is that all of these are will take if if you're concerned with racism, if you're concerned with with the discrimination or the oppression of women, if you're concerned with um, with uh, any of these social issues as well as all of the environmental issues which go far beyond climate change which is the most severe but but includes you know pollution of of, of, of the atmosphere of, of water of yeah of water of the soils of, of us um, that these are not going to be solved individually mm-hmm. that you don't have the power even if you could and I would maintain that you probably can't solve them individually they need to be solved together, uh, and and that means we've got to get these various sectors. Some would call them interest groups or orga- NGOs um, or organizations. We need to get them working together to a, towards a common goal, which is creating a new society uh, in which uh, in which we interact differently with each other and we interact differently with the rest of the natural world. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this is uh, uh, I think, one of the issues of the highest order, mm-hmm. uh, because that's the only way we're going to be able to create a critical mass of people. 
But that means uh, buying into, um, uh, let's say, if your primary interest is in combating racism, uh, you need to buy into also and take on as an issue uh, fighting oppression of women. And you have to take into an issue, you know, fighting uh, for, you know, against climate change. And you have to, you know, all, all these, you have to take on each other's issues. And um, they, they, they have to become one, or, you know, organization, either a coalition or a single organization or a very strong coalition that can function together over many years and mobilize people. Um, and, and we have to understand that a decent society means uh, dealing with all of these issues. That we, and, and, and we can't just talk about one and forget the others. Yeah. That's, that is the way to lose, not the way to win. Thank you, Fred. Um, we really loved having you on the show today. Um, we've, we've touched on so much here, and it's been such a great conversation. Um, I think, Nina, we're going to end with a song break. Yes. So, um, uh, Fred, thank you so, so much. I, there's so many things I'm taking away from our conversation. Um, so we appreciate it. You taking the time to speak with us and, and educating us and deepening our understanding um, about all this. So thank you very, very much. Well, thank, thank, thank you for, for the discussion. It's been okay. a pleasure. Um, so we're going to listen to... We're going to listen to... Um, well, first of all, we're actually going to listen to a um, underwriter. Was, we forgot to play one in the middle. Um, <laughs> But we're going to uh, play Everyone's Books, and we also uh, would like to thank Everyone's Books for having come to our conference, um, Stand Up, Fight Back, on May 10th and 11th. Um, they came on um, May 11th to our conference um, and sold books and also um, helped us uh, with donations. And oh, such, and we so. should say probably that that conference was recorded, including Fred Magdoff's keynote yes. presentation um, by BCTV. So they should be airing that soon. Absolutely. So we'll play that and then we'll go straight into a song. They are selling the rain by climbing poetry. Space programming on WDEW is underwritten in part by everyone's books located in downtown Brattleboro at 25 Elliott street. Everyone's Books is a family-owned, independent bookstore that has been serving the community for over 30 years. They specialize in books about social change, the environment, politics, and travel, and offer a huge range of children's books. You can reach them by phone at 802-254-8160 or online via their website at everyonesbks.com. WVEW thanks Everyone's Books for their support of this station. They are selling the rain. They're leasing the river. They are auctioning off the oceans to the highest bidders. As giant chunks of the polar ice caps dislodge from the North Pole, and tourists flock to the site to take pictures. There is disaster tourism. Like there's disaster profiteering. Off the torrential storms. And the warring. And the wrath of global warming. Who will get paid to rebuild? And who will they build for? Who will endure the drought and the rain? Who will be safe inside indoors? Who makes the missiles? The smart bombs? The rockets? Who gets raided? Who gets paid from whose pockets? Who gets sent off to war? Who dies for whose profits? Who gets remembered? Who's been forgotten? Who 
paved concrete over the pores of the earth to make our lives harder and built buildings to scrape skies trying to get closer to God but move farther our history has been lost to forgetfulness erased by the frontiers of manifest destiny as if destiny were man-made or manifested in the hands of colonial planners who build their thrones atop the remains of nations like gravestones Celebrate Columbus Day with clearance sales To buy up stuff to cover up That which cannot be bought or sold Only stolen like breath or life or home Or an entire people who once believed That land could never be owned In the ocean It's worth more than gold, and water cannot be held captive. It will reshape even stone. And even when the last tree stands alone, it still makes a sound long after it's falling. In a forest that lived even if no one saw it, and fed the world its breath, whether or not we applaud it. One hand clapping sounds a lot like the rhythms we lost in generations who sang even as they departed. Our great great grandmothers and fathers foretold this time of extinction and slaughter when we decide between drought and drowning in water or rising like mist from rivers toxic with dreams to be clouds that give birth to rain water and fall pure to the earth to quench this thirst we've forgotten now we stand at the doorway in the hallway life brought us to this crossroads of lost hope and undeniable promise where we choose between Beyond rightness or wrongness that will lead to the brink of the planet's exhaustion or the age of compassion where the meek become strongest and re-inherit the earth and redefine.